Greetings. You are about to hear one of a multi-part series on the dedication of Solomon's Temple, entitled Restore the Glory, by myself, Dan Augsburger. I shared these presentations in the fall of 2015 in the Stanbro Park SDA Church in Watford, England, which is a northern suburb of London. In this series, we look at the construction and the dedication of Solomon's Temple. In doing so, however, we compare the building and construction of that temple with the prior construction and dedication of the first tabernacle in the wilderness and the subsequent construction and dedication of the second temple, which was constructed after the exile. We will also look at the construction and the dedication of the temple of our hearts. I believe you will learn much from these presentations and will be blessed. I hope you'll be able to hear all of them. They can be found at my website, discipleheart.com. If you have further questions or want to communicate with me for some other reason, you can write me at path to prayer, P-A-T-H, number two prayer, path to prayer at gmail, G-M-A-I-L, gmail.com, path to prayer at gmail.com. Once again, this is Dan Augsburger. I appreciate your taking the time to listen, and I pray that you will be blessed. This morning I had the privilege of coming to the opening. You truly have a beautiful, beautiful sanctuary. I didn't realize it fully until I heard the story as you were saying thank you to all the people involved. And I can imagine that uh, transforming it from what it was to what it is today was a, a huge task in every way. I was impressed when I heard about the care taken you know, to, to do the acoustics. The colors they talked about. You know, looking at everything to make sure that it could be as perfect as possible. Everything that was done, I believe you'd say, was necessary. And it's beautiful because something very unique happened. If any of you have ever been to Venice, you've been to perhaps St. Mark's Cathedral. It's probably one of the most famous cathedrals because there's a, or amongst the very famous cathedrals because there's a mosaic there. Made of thousands of tiny pieces of colored glass, stone, and other materials, the completed presentation is genuinely awe-inspiring. I've been there several times. In preparing for that mosaic, the artist carefully, carefully contemplated the desired outcome and developed an appropriate plan and began selecting and placing the individual pieces into position. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of pieces. The work was tedious, difficult, and required constant attention to the tiniest detail. For a long time, the work was very incomplete, and undoubtedly seemed overwhelming. By themselves, none of the pieces were that significant, yet joined together in that perfect plan, they eventually became the beautiful mosaic that still awes visitors in our day. That's an example of, a, of something which took many, many pieces to bring together to make it work. There's another amazing mosaic that we all 
have a part in, and that is what I would refer to as the mosaic of the human body. Our bodies are made of cells and, you know, uh, veins and arteries and all kinds of things. And they're a marvel of engineering that exceeds anything that we could possibly imagine or come up with as human beings. Let's imagine this evening that when we came for rhetorical purposes, that all of the hands were here and all the feet were back there and, you know, we were kind of divided up by parts and we were going to have a contest to see, you know, who could be, have the strongest influence to pull the, the church members to be one way or another way. If every part of our body functioned like a foot or a hand, would we enjoy health? No. We wouldn't enjoy health. It's because just as the artist carefully selected each piece of the mosaic that, that makes a perfect picture, though none is that significant by themselves because the beauty is where they're joined together. So our human bodies function because everything has a purpose. This is, once again, rhetorical. But if you were to lose a part of your body, what part would you like to lose? Seriously. Would you mind losing a hand? How many would like to lose a hand tonight? You wouldn't. What about a leg? I mean, you can sit in a wheelchair. You wouldn't want to lose a a leg either. Um, Would you want to lose a finger? You're not so sure. That would be easier. Maybe. But this is the point. We like every part of our body, don't we? Now, I'm not much of a builder. You've had expert builders going, working here. And I doubt they have my problem, but I often find myself hammering my fingers more than the nail. And so I find myself finding a pair of pliers to hold the nail so that, you know, my, my finger won't be hurt more. But I notice this, that when I hit my finger by accident, my entire body reacts. I don't say, oh, that's just a finger, who cares? My whole body becomes extremely protective at that moment. And I go out of my way to make sure that that is not hurt anymore. My brothers and sisters, and this is actually the story part of the beginning, but a different kind of story. I'm taking some leeway here. When we think of the church, we are called the body of Christ. And I'd like to suggest this evening that each one of us has been carefully selected by the master designer. We have been developed by master craftsmen to play a certain essential role no matter who we are. Each one of us is important. And the beauty of this church is not only in this building, which is truly wonderful, but it's in the beauty not only of individual members, but also the beauty of their relationships to each other. We're going to talk about that later. But I'd like to suggest for our first prayer time that relationships really do make a difference. 
And since I have just a few more minutes before our prayer time is supposed to begin, I want to share at least one story that shows the power of godly relationship. When I was in New Zealand one time, I made the acquaintance of a young mother who was at this youth convention with her two children. And she explained to us that she was there because her husband was a druggie and an alcoholic. Her brothers were druggies and alcoholics. Her parents were divorced. They were not Christians. She says, it's me. I'm the only Christian. I want my kids to have a good example. We volunteered to pray for her. When I went back the next year, her husband was with her, the sweetest, gentlest Christian you could have imagined. Uh, Three of her brothers had been baptized by that time. Fourth was preparing for baptism. Her parents had come to the Lord and had remarried. It was as if a spiritual tsunami had gone through the family. And I asked Catherine, whatever happened? She told us, or she told me, she said, you said that we should pray. So I began getting up at 4.30 in the morning to pray for my family, begging God to bring them back to himself. She said, one morning I seemed to have a vision. I saw four men in the front of the church and I, and I told, I texted my, my brother and said, God showed me you're going to be baptized. You're going to join the church. And they responded, we hate your God. We'll never become Christians. She kept praying. Uh, she also said, you told us that we needed to forgive people. And she said, when I was 11, a man had, had abused me, and our family had imploded, and God convicted me. I needed to invite that man, you know, and make things right. Forgive him. And so she did. Uh, one of the brothers had actually seen the man and said, he seems like he's, he's okay. It was a member of the family. So she invited this gentleman over for supper and with the brothers there, forgave him for what he'd done. Didn't seem to bring a lot of remorse from what I recall of what she said. But after that, one of the brothers came to her and said, Catherine, whatever you want, whatever you have, I want it too. And by, by one, each member of the family came back to Jesus. That's probably not the first way we would have thought to you know, begin a spiritual tsunami in the family, but that's what God did in that family. On the way home from that uh, meeting, I was given a ride by another individual who explained to me, uh, she said to me, it's a single mom, there were three kids there, she said, Dan, I need to tell you a story about my life. She said, this pastor, I have been sick, I've been suffering from, from back problems, and I've been to the physiotherapist, the occupational therapist, massage therapist, all kinds of people, but nothing has changed. But she said, one day I went to a, a different church than my own home church where I lived, and while I was there, someone came up to me and said, I'm impressed that you need to forgive someone. She listened to that and thought, hmm, they don't know me, I'm not going to say anything, but it's true, there are people that I have a problem with. In the same meeting, someone else came and said, there's someone you need to forgive. So when she got home, she said, it's true, God, there's a lot of people I'm really angry with, and I better forgive them. 
Now, she'd had horrible back problems, and she began going to the list. This person, this is why, and I need to forgive him, and was going to the list and finally said, God, I think I need to forgive all of them. She said at that point she felt a hot spot at the top of her back. It went down her back and left at the bottom of her back, and she was healed from her back problem. My brothers and sisters, seeking to be in good relationship with others brings blessings not only to our physical bodies, but also the body of the church. And my brothers and sisters, as you start a new phase in the history of this church, you mustn't let the past hold you back from starting in a whole new way. So I want to encourage you as we begin this time to talk to the Lord and ask the Lord, are there people that I need to have a visit with, either to say, would you forgive me? Or I forgive you. I remember one time, my last bi- my biographical thought here, and that is that uh, the Lord once convicted me that I needed to write some of those letters, do some of that communication. And as a result of it, I began seeing answers to prayer like never before. Makes a great difference. In the human body, as I've shared some illustrations, in our spiritual life, and I believe also in the body of God's church. Spend some time talking with God this evening to ask him if there are things in the area of relationships that might be hindering the blessing of God in the temple of the heart that we've talked about this week. Let's take some time silently praying to ourselves and talking with God about that. And if you feel led, make a list so that you'll know who you need to be thinking about uh, in the week to come or even uh, this weekend. Thank you. Father in heaven, We have just sung what should be the constant prayer of our heart. All to thee, I surrender. All to thee, I freely give. Father, might it not be some to Jesus, I surrender. Some to thee, I freely give. Father, what an opportunity to shine for your glory. Father, the difficulties are mounting up in this world and they are increasingly looking here and there to find solutions. If they cannot find them from us, where will they find answers? I don't say that to be arrogant, but seriously, if we believe that we are people who have an understanding of the Bible that is quite unique compared to many. And we've been called to be the light of the world. Help us, Father, to be the light of the world. Please, for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've been speaking at quite a few places this week. I can't remember everything I've said everywhere, but I don't think I shared this in this group. But I remember one time making some pumpkin pie. And uh, I had pride in making pumpkin pie, perhaps too much pride. I remember I was asked to bring some pies to a Sabbath evening social after sunset. 
And they all complimented me on my delicious pie. And I was feeling pretty good about it. But I noticed from a distance that a child was holding their plate of pie up to their parents with a big scowl on their face as if, what's, what's with this? And so I made a point to go taste some of my pie and discovered that I'd forgotten to put any sugar in it. And it was awful, truly awful. I had the pleasure of telling the adults that they were liars. You know, they'd been assuring me how delicious it was, but it wasn't true. And uh, I uh, had to be a lot more humble about my pie making that evening. Sometimes I think people expect a lot from us. But it doesn't always have the taste that they expect based on what they read in the Word. Maybe you recall the story of when Jesus and three of the disciples came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. There was an argument taking place. And uh, it was between a father who had brought his mute son to be healed by the disciples. And they had tried, but they'd failed. And the scribes, I think, were giving them a hard time. They were probably asking lots of hard questions. And I think the disciples were giving answers, all kinds of answers. Maybe it's not God's will. Maybe it's not God's time. Maybe there's sin. You know, maybe there's an issue that we don't know about. For whatever reason, we're not able. When the real answer was, there was something in their lives and in their relationships that kept them from being used of God. That was the truth. Um, sometimes we've been called to make a difference for other people, but God is unable to use us. And I'll say this very carefully, but it's true, I'm convinced of it, the greatest need in our church, here or anywhere else, is the need of unity. I believe that should be probably the number one prayer request because in John 17... John 17, if you want to turn to that, John 17, verses 21 and 22, or 21 to 23, Jesus said something very important. And actually, we'll start in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The greatest proof, the greatest proof that Jesus came from heaven is not in a finely honed set of doctrines and proofs, but it is the presence of unity in those who claim to be followers of Jesus. And so I have to ask you, do people know you are a Christian because you have such loving relationships with other people? The serious question. Jesus said that that was what he wanted so that others would know that he'd been sent. He says the same thing in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect, in one. There is something about becoming perfected, becoming like Jesus in seeking that unity. Do you know where we learn to submit to God? 
in submitting to each other. Do you know where children learn to walk with God, to submit to God? In submitting to their parents. Okay? This evening we want to look at the area of relationships because now you've done the easy part, really. The hardest part is the relationship part. Did you know that? Mortar cannot resist, you know, a a circular saw or a hammer or whatever else is required. And the people that come to build are committed to making sure it's right. But is it possible that there are hearts that are harder than diamond? Because they just do not want to in any way have their comfort level changed? And is it possible that there's not the same desire that the workmen have to make sure that it's right? Well, I can assure you that God and the Holy Spirit are very patient and very committed to this being the most beautiful church in all of London. You got a good start with the building, but will you have it in the ranks sitting in the pew? I'm asking a serious question, and I know I'm asking bold questions, but I'll be gone, you know, and so, you know, you can be upset with me now with the pastor. He didn't ask me to say all this, but uh, I just really... I desire to have a church that is so filled with the presence of Jesus and with such love between the members that people will say, there is something different there. Those are real Christians. Did you hear me? And that happens one member at a time. We should all become a committee of one to do this and not wait for someone else. If you take the first step, it will encourage others to do it as well. Did you hear me? It's interesting that in our study of the four temples, and I will share about those four temples that we've considered. We've considered the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness, time of Moses and the children of Israel. We considered Solomon's temple. That's where we focused most of our attention. We considered the second temple that was built after the return from the exile. And finally, what I've called the temple of the heart. The New Testament church did not have a building. It was a temple of the heart, a temple made up of relationships. Okay? And so I want to ask a question. What was the purpose of the temple? What was the purpose of the temple or the tabernacle? What was God's desire? That God might dwell amongst his people. And when you come, God wants to be here. God wants to be here. Please, brothers and sisters, don't let anything mar God's being able to be here with you. Okay? In the New Testament church and in all of those temples, what was another purpose of those buildings and then finally that spiritual building? It was so that God could be represented. He could be manifested. When people meet you, do they know something about what God is like? When they see you meeting together, do they know something about what God is like? My sermons are first preached to me, okay? So don't feel bad. I'm not throwing stones. I'm saying this is for all of us this evening. To what degree do people know what God is like because they know you? Do they see a God that is forgiving and loving and long-suffering and gentle and patient and all of those fruits of the Spirit? By the grace of God, they should be. God can, can make an absolute miracle and a change. But like I said... The hardest diamond may be softer than the stubborn heart.
Sometimes we need to ask God to soften our hearts. In fact, Dan regularly says, God, give me a new heart. I need a heart transplant because my heart is too hard. You can ask Rose about that. I have some stubbornness. I think we all are born with that. But what a blessing when we come to church with a desire for God to make us childlike and lamb-like. Would it be so bad to come to a church where you knew that everybody loved each other? You know, we're told that when we really accept Jesus, God treats us as if we never made a mistake. Now, I tell Rose this. You know, I tell Rose that she's perfect. She assures me no. And I tell her, no, it's biblical. If God can treat me as if I never made a mistake, I can treat her as if she never made a mistake. What if every member treated each other as if they never made a mistake? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful? That's what, sh- that's what the norm should be, not the exception. And you see, Satan doesn't want people coming, and so his most effective way of working is getting us to be in whatever, okay? But it doesn't need to be that way. It doesn't need to be that way. God wants to come here every Sabbath. God wants to have us come here every Sabbath, and he wants to reveal himself through the way you relate to others and to the way, through the way that you live every Sabbath and every day of the week. When they built the temple, where did the plans come from? Was it something that they dreamed up? No, they found it from God. And you can find the plan to have a perfect church right here and to have wonderful relationships, not only in the church, but in the home between married couples. You know, families in the Adventist church should be the happiest families in the world. Did you know that? There should only be good marriages. I believe that. I believe that. Well, the plans come from God, and if we will take seriously what God has written, He will lead us just that way. But we may have to eat some humble pie on the way. Who provided the materials? Well, we know that David had a a love, and so he prepared, but it says out of his affection, in fact, it said he had set his affection on the temple, that he did even more. And I'd like to suggest that God loves us so much that he's provided everything, but because he even set his affection upon us, he's given even more, because he wants to do something special on this earth through you and me. Why not have one church that goes all the way with God? where the pastors are cheerleaders. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's your job description, to cheer the faithful, you know, and saying, you know, you need to keep a balance. You, you be careful, you know, you've, you've given enough, we've, we've met the need, you know, give to your neighbors, help, whatever. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I think I told you about John Patton, how when he went fundraising, the churches in Scotland were in debt, they were struggling, but they still felt called to give to missions And there was such a a wave of generosity that came over the church that the church has paid off their debts. It's amazing. And we're told that there's a direct connection between our helping others and God's blessing in our lives. God will provide whatever is needed to make the most beautiful temple in your heart and in your church. Who led the construction? Well, God wanted to lead the construction. But I have to tell you that Solomon, we learned one evening, made a bad mistake because he was trying to do God's work 
Solomon's way. And a lot of us are trying to do the character development and the relationship stuff, which has a good aim, it comes from God, but our way, and because of that, we fail. And remember, I I shared with you the other night, maybe it was last night, that power for the Christian is what? Who remembers? It is meekness and humility. There's a study, in fact, for those of you that are interested, we have a few of these little Revival Now booklets. There's a section there on what it means to take up Christ's yoke. And she says repeatedly that if you want to have power in life, it's by being meek and humble. We have been fooled by the devil, brothers and sisters, into thinking that putting us first is actually what helps us most, but that's not true. When God came, how did he signify his approval? By sending so much glory that in the first tabernacle, Moses couldn't stay there. And the second uh, temple, as we're going to see in a moment, that the people had to leave because the temple was too filled with God's glory. In the third one, Unfortunately, there wasn't the same manifestation of glory, and I believe it partly is because it was not a temple that would have people who were truly following God as they should have. And so there was the ark missing, and the real, the real pearl of great price would be coming there, and he chased out the money cha- uh, changers eventually, as the pastor mentioned earlier this morning. And in the last one, when did the power come? It was on what day? The day of Pentecost. And what did they had spent? Ten days for? Was it to convince God to do what he didn't want to do? No. It was to become right with each other and to become right with God. And when they had come into that unity and they were in one place, then God poured out upon them what he'd been waiting to pour out. And my brothers and sisters, if you want to know the power and the glory of God in this church, it is when you also have gone to the trouble to be in right relationship with each other. I'm really enjoying this, Pastor, because I want this church to be a different kind of church and I've been given a stage to urge them to make a new beginning and I'm going to take advantage of it. Okay? And I'm sure you'll love me later and if you don't, you know, that's okay. I'll love you anyway. But really, why not do something different? Why not do something different? How are the people affected by the coming of the glory? This is a tricky one. Moses had to stay outside. The priest in Solomon's day had to stay outside. In the new temple, we don't hear as much, but in the temple of the heart, I'd like to suggest what stayed outside was self. And because self was outside the door, Jesus could come in. If our hearts are full of ourselves, there's not room for the Holy Spirit. And I think that's really the crux for the hard heart. It's, it's not that we ever really feel like ceding to our neighbor or making things right. It's that we make the decision. It's the right thing to do, and though it won't be easy to do, I choose to follow God's way. And when we have left self outside the door, when we've left self outside the church board meeting, my, what a wonder takes place inside. Earlier this week, I shared with you the quotation, the cause of perplexing the church is because many who were baptized were buried what? Who knows the quote? 
buried alive. Self did not die, but self was raised to newness of life. And so, brothers and sisters, leave self outside the door. Mrs. White writes about the idea that when Christ recognizes Christ in our brother or sister, there's harmony, and she even says, Christ never fights with Christ. If you're in a tug-of-war, it's not Jesus fighting with the other person. Did you hear me? What kind of people then did God use to complete these temples? They were humble people. Moses was considered what? The meekest man in all the world. Solomon, in his early days, was a very humble man. In fact, when God visited him, what did he say? I need wisdom. And God said, because you've asked for wisdom, because you've been humble, I will give you riches and honor. The third temple, the second temple, it was exiles who, who were struggling, struggling to have anything. And the temple, the heart of the new church, of the early church, all they wanted to do was tell others about how wonderful Jesus was and they forgot about themselves. Was God present? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, for just a moment and then I'm done. If you would go back to Chronicles. This evening I've been speaking from my heart. It says in verse, chapter 7, verse 1, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Let God fill every part of this church. Let God fill every part of every relationship in the in the church. Turn back one chapter to chapter uh, 5 at the end of the chapter about verse 13. Indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one. They were in unity. To make one sound, they were playing the same sound. To be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. Okay, you see how positive it was. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. Then the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. For once again, the glory of God filled that house. It was when they were in perfect harmony, in good relationship, and singing in harmony too, that the glory came. Well, you have all these chairs set up for the strings, and I have to say how much I've enjoyed the music, enjoyed the violin music this evening. Just imagine if, if one of those strings had said, I refuse to tune to that A or that G or D or whatever it is. We would have all known that something was wrong, right? But it's because every string was willing to be tuned right and because the one playing the violin was willing to tune it right that there was the beautiful harmony. Be willing and let Jesus tune your life. And when he tunes your life, not only will he tune it with himself, but he'll tune it in tune with each other. Did you, did you know that? He wants to do it in your marriage at home and with your children too. And when you let him do the tuning, you may find that you're all tuned differently than what you thought at the beginning, but let him be in charge of the tuning. And oh, what a glorious sound will be made, so to speak, in this church. 
Now, verse 14 of chapter 7. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If someone is found that, you know, they, they find themselves struggling, here's God's plan. If we will humble ourselves, if we will be real with God, if we'll pray, if we'll seek Him, okay? Turn, because it has to do with walking with God. Then it says God will hear and God will forgive and God will help. And then one last thing. You've got a beautiful house. This actually goes beyond the story of the construction, but, but it talks about when the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon. And it talks about why she was so convinced. Notice this and then remember this. Verse 3, chapter 9, verse 3. And when the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he built, okay, he was wise, the house, but it says, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of the waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. In other words, she was awed by what she'd seen. And she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. It wasn't just the beautiful building, but it was the people that were there. It was the way that the people were serving. It was the way that they came to church. And also, when she saw the entryway to his temple, she saw that there was a reverence. And it was all of that that came together to convince her that something was different. People will see the building, yes. But they will also be looking at you and me. What will they see? You know, I look for the day when, I, I know you don't want to hear this, but you'll be building another church because too many people have come here to hold the one, them all here. That's my goal. How many of you want to be that kind of beautiful body of Christ that, that Satan doesn't find any room to cause mischief? Would you raise your hand if that's your desire? Please. And ask God to show you what you can do to become a, a committee of one to make that kind of church possible. That's my prayer. Let me pray for just a moment. Father in heaven, we've taken a journey, but it's a journey that you want us to complete with honors. And you're going to give us whatever is needed to do it. So bless, Father, the pastors. Bless the musicians. Bless the elders. Bless the Sabbath school leaders. Bless the deacons, the deaconesses. Bless every member, be they really young or, or old, to make this the most beautiful mosaic of people in godly relationship that others will come and say, there's something different about this church. We must have found the real church because we've seen it in flesh, in living action. Thank you that you want to do this. Thank you that you're waiting to do this. Thank you that you're able to do it. You saw the hands. You saw the hands, Lord, that maybe were even the hearts that didn't rise, but still there's a desire. Oh, Father, make this a beautiful church in every way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You have just heard one of a multi-part series on the construction and dedication of Solomon's Temple given by myself, Dan Augsburger, at the Stanbro Park Church in the fall of 2015. I pray that it has been a blessing to you. You can find the rest of the presentations at my website, discipleheart.com. Let me spell that for you. 
DiscipleHeart, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-H-E-A-R-T, DiscipleHeart.com. Perhaps you have a question that you'd like to pose to me directly. If so, feel free to write me at pathtoprayer at gmail.com. Let me give you the spelling, P-A-T-H, number two, P-R-A-Y-E-R, pathtoprayer at gmail.com. Once again, this is Dan Augsburger. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.